Hey friends, welcome to Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, and I'm your host, Julia. And on today's show, we are talking about one of my favorite holiday movies with one of my favorite people, White Christmas and my kid. Who chuckled? Why did you chuckle? I didn't chuckle. What are you talking about? I heard a little bit of a chuckle. This episode is brought to you by Hughes by Jewels. Hughes by Jewels offers custom artwork and original prints specializing in watercolor, focusing on the human form and different shades of skin. If you're looking for that perfect gift for a birthday or have a special memory you'd like to commemorate, visit Hughes by Jewels on Instagram or find the Etsy shop of the same name. That's Hughes, H-U-E-S by Jewels, J-U-L. S. White Christmas released on October 14th, 1954 and stars Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, Rosemary Clooney, and Vera Ellen. This film is about Two war buddies, Crosby and Kay, who develop a professional music relationship once World War II ends. They meet and fall for two sisters, Clooney and Ellen, and follow the women to a resort in Vermont, which is owned by their former commanding officer who is in danger of losing the place. This movie is chocked full of singing and dancing with the music and lyrics by Irving Berlin and choreography by Bob Fosse, who went uncredited. This is one of my all-time favorite holiday flicks, but first, let me introduce you to my guest. Jackson is my favorite human and loves movies and television just as much as I do. This former baseball player now spends his time creatively by dabbling in photography and training in theater. Not only is he my favorite human, he's also a pretty good conversation when it comes to films. Jackson, welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> Your dog is acting weird. Well, she's our dog. Yes. She's my dog when she's behaved. She's your dog when she's behaving badly. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's fun. (laughs) (laughs) On October 15th, 1954, the New York Times writer Bosley Crowther wasn't so forgiving about this now holiday staple stating Paramount, to put it simply, has done White Christmas up brown. But oddly enough, the confection is not so tasty as one might suppose. The flavoring is largely in the lineup and not in the output of the cooks. Everyone works hard at the business of singing, dancing, and cracking jokes, but the stuff they work with is minor. It doesn't have the old inspiration and spark. Despite the New York Times review, the film was a box office hit, and over the years, this film has become a major holiday tradition with movie theaters and cable networks scheduling airings of this Vista Vision dreamboat. And it is definitely a holiday tradition in our home. So, Jackson, I want to start with, what do you love about White Christmas and why? I think it's, well, it's probably one of my favorite Christmas movies, and I think because it feels like Christmas, I think too, as I've gotten older, it feels more similar to the way that Christmas feels now, where until we really get 
to Christmas. It doesn't really feel like Christmas season. I think part of that is because, you know, we live in the middle of California, mm-hmm. but you know, for all of December, it just feels like winter. I'm not like, oh, Christmas is right around the corner. Even this week, Christmas is only a few days away. In my mind, it's like, oh, we still have so much longer until Christmas. It doesn't feel like Christmas time. And White Christmas kind of does that similarly with the movie where, you know, the beginning they show up, they're like, they expect to show up to Vermont and it's going to be full of snow and it's going to be, you know, the perfect Christmas vacation. And then they get there and there's no snow. And so they have to kind of develop their own Christmas with what they've got. And eventually on Christmas and when they do the show, it does snow, but you know, you still have that kind of lack of Christmas feeling, I guess, while still being mm-hmm. a Christmas movie. Yeah, no, I get it. Because here where we are in California, there were still leaves falling off of trees last week. Yeah. And that's very much fall weather. And whereas other parts of the country, like our cousins in Minnesota, have been posting videos about snow for weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what snow? I don't understand why you keep posting this video or why do you live there? <laughs> I mean, even if we were to go up, you know, just a few miles up north into the mountains, it'd feel more like Christmas because they could, well, not as much snow as, you know, back east or anything, but still more snow than we get here. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think this is one of my favorite movies because it, I don't know, the singing and the dancing is just so well done. I mean, mm-hmm. Vera Ellen does not do her own singing. <laughs> She's oh. not a singer, but she is an incredible dancer and watching her perform is just always so amazing I don't remember if you I don't remember if I've watched anything else with her that um you would have seen on the town she's really good and on the town it's with um Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra yeah I don't think I've seen that I think that was the first time I remember seeing her even though we've been watching White Christmas my entire life I like what you said about how it feels like Christmas. And you know what? It's interesting that you bring up how they show up to Vermont and it's not very cold and it's not covered in snow. That's so California. Yeah, I think I think that's why it feels like Christmas to me is so many Christmas movies, you know, really focus on the snow, like even in Home Alone, where the focus isn't necessarily on Christmas itself, but, you know, just on Kevin and you know trying to live without his family. They, there's still like a heavy focus on it's cold, it's winter, you're scared mm-hmm. of the furnace. Whereas, you know, here, I mean, I'm sure for a lot of people with how cold it gets here, we wouldn't have to turn on the heater, right? Like, yeah, we're turning on the heater at like 60 degrees at night because, oh, we're so cold. But really, I mean, it's not that cold. <laughs> yeah. In comparison, I love the line that Danny Kay says when he gets off the train, when they realize that Vermont isn't covered in snow. And he's like, oh, I'm going to have to re- return the electric blanket. And Bing Crosby says, well, where's that? And he's like, under the long underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Kaye is really such a great character um, in, in, in that movie. Plus he's just an amazing actor, but yeah, he's so much fun to watch in white Christmas. He's got the funny quips. He's got a big personality and he pushes Bing Crosby's character to do things that are outside of his comfort zone. And I just love that about him. I think he's definitely one of my favorite characters and, you know, for all of those reasons, he's just fun and he's fun to watch on screen mm-hmm. and he's, you know, a very good dancer. I love that scene with him and, um, oh, what's, what's her name? Vera Allen. She plays Judy. The younger one, right? Yeah. Yeah. When they're dancing in the beginning of the movie, that's, that's always been one of my favorite scenes, even from when I was younger and I didn't care. I mean, I've always liked the movie, but I've 
grown to appreciate it more now, but even when I was younger, that was still one of my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful dance scene. I love, you know, they dance on top of the boat, the, tr- the upside down boat. It took me years to realize what's an upside down <laughs> boat, by the way. I don't know. I think I was 20 by the time I realized that. Um, and just how much they flow and grace together. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. Since 1954, the conversation about minstrel shows and blackface and the racist structures of Hollywood have been called into cultural conversation more so over the last two years than ever before. There is a dance number in the film, I'd Rather See a Minstrel Show slash Mr. Bones slash Mandy. Minstrel shows were widely popular in the 19th century and featured comic enactment of racial stereotypes. White actors would darken their faces with shoe polish or burnt cork and perform for largely white audiences. We've never really talked about minstrel shows or the history behind them. I mean, I don't think we have. It's never really been a topic of conversation mm-hmm. here in our house. I didn't raise you on Shirley Temple movies the way I was, and I want to speculate on something. How could this scene be modified to remove the longing for minstrel shows and still have a large scale musical number and keeping true to the themes of the movie? Because if you remember, it's multiple it's a huge production, you yeah. know, at the there, it's just Rosemary Clooney being Crosby and Danny Kaye in the beginning. And then it ends up being the entire company. And at the end, Vera Ellen does this amazing dance number with all of these men dressed in green and red. <laughs> it's just sparkly and fabulous and showy. But then when you peel back the layers and you're like, oh yeah, minstrel shows are kind of trash and we shouldn't really be like longing for them. It's, yeah. it's like, the it's like a double-edged sword because on the one hand that scene is beautifully performed but on the other hand what they're talking about is garbage <laughs> yeah I mean I, I love that scene too it's one of my favorite numbers in the whole show just because of how grand it is and mm-hmm. you know the costumes are amazing it's but I mean whenever I watch that scene I'm always like oh yeah you know I mean I can forget what they're talking about while I'm watching it because I can just watch them dance but you know as as you watch it you kind of have to go well this isn't the best topic I guess for this number and it too it kind of almost feels out of place in the movie you know it's like racial themes aren't something that's present in White Christmas for the rest of the movie so it kind of feels out of nowhere and I get that it like it fits because it's there but I think if that scene had never been in the movie in that way in the first place to begin with it wouldn't feel the same way that it does like if someone were to say rewrite the movie and put it in there you know we'd be like well why is this here like it doesn't relate to anything else I mean sure it's a fun number but why would you like what possessed you to put this in this movie and I get that you know for the time it wasn't necessarily inappropriate but still watching it now it's like well who decided to put it in there in the first place like it didn't need to be in there and sure you could it should be changed and it should have been changed. Um, And I understand that at the time it would make sense for nobody to really protest it and be like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, this, this is actually a horrible thing to put in this movie. Like, why should we do that? Cause it was fine for that time, but it's just so weird, I guess, to look at now Mm -hmm. and be like, well, why would they put this here? Obviously, you know, what 70 ish years later, you know, we can look at it and go, well, that's, wrong why would they do that Um, yeah and I wonder how many people actually understood that minstrel shows were rooted in very much uh very much rooted in racial prejudice because when I was a kid it it, that wasn't that wasn't a thing we talked about 
growing up. It wasn't a conversation. You know, I, I knew blackface was bad. We, we didn't really directly talk about blackface specifically, but we knew that it was like, you just don't do that. This is just not how we behave. But, and I don't know if it's because I grew up in a mixed household or what, but that history behind a minstrel show, I didn't learn about that until I was much older. I actually think when I started doing my own personal research on and, and hit study of Hollywood and performance, because I feel like we've always had, we've always been a family and for you on both sides, um, a performers and people yeah. who appreciate the arts and appreciate, you know, this, um, medium, because that's the type of personalities we are. We're not suited really for anything else in my opinion, <laughs> Yeah, but you know, as a mixed child at the age of, I don't know, 16, 17, 18 years old, I'm learning more about this concept. And then it's like, holy shit. And then you get older and realize like what you said, no one's going to question it in 1954, probably because the entire set was white, probably because the entire cast was white, probably because every producer was white, probably because everybody in the movie studio business was white. So no one thinks that it's a problem until people who are represented in the community start speaking up, which is really scary to do, especially yeah. in the fifties. Oh yeah. And well, and too though, it's, I, I don't think that it's necessarily the right way to look at it to say, Oh, well, they wouldn't have necessarily known that it was a thing that was like rooted in, you know, racism and like mm-hmm. purposely trying to mock a group of people. Cause I mean, that was the key component of a minstrel show. That was the point. You know, I mean, yes, there must be comedy or whatever, but the root of that comedy was to punch down, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And uh, obviously, as a child, you're not going to necessarily know any better because who's going to tell you that unless you have, especially like in, when you were growing up in the 80s and 90s, who's going to tell you that? I mean, it's more commonplace now to be taught those things when you're younger, especially even in school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, back then, it's not like you had a group of 17 and 18 year olds producing this movie I mean Bing Crosby was already an established actor at that point like he was a fully grown person mm-hmm. um and you far know, so too is... old to be playing Rosemary Clooney's love interest by the way <laughs> yeah but you know every, I don't think there's anybody on that set who in there who didn't know that it's wrong to put on minstrel shows I think it just was so accepted as something that was normal oh okay i yeah because like it's the whole thing the same kind of way we handle colorblindness right like colorblindness was 100 normal when i was growing up you're all the same everyone's the same no one's different and then fast forward 30 years and it's like no that shit's harmful and now we know it's harmful right gotcha okay And the movie needs a large, I think the movie needs a large scale number because they are these, you know, huge musical producers. So it just is unfortunate. (laughs) It's just unfortunate when you fast forward 70 years and you realize like, this is, this feels icky, Yeah, but you love it because the dancing and the singing is amazing. And the costumes are incredible, but it also, you love it, but it feels icky. It's like a, yeah. And and I think, you know, the only way that we could really see a different version of that in that movie is to do a complete remake of it, which, you know, I, I wouldn't, 
necessarily want to see a remake. I feel like it's the same way I feel about West Side Story. Mm-hmm. I know you did an episode on that recently. Um, you know, the remake was good and it was a lot of fun and I enjoyed it. But at the end of the day, if I had to choose between that and the original movie, I'm going to watch the original movie because it was the original creators. Sure, there was a play beforehand. Mm-hmm. So you could say, well, if you really want to get down to the root of the creativity, you should watch the play. But adapting it to film is still such an intensive creative process that it sells a lot of that soul. Mm-hmm. I feel like remakes lose a lot of that because you have to focus on um, capturing the emotion from the original and staying true to the original. I mean, unless you don't care, some remakes will do that where they just mm-hmm. don't care and they'll do whatever they want and use the same name and same characters and do something completely different with the story. And I almost feel like that is a more, um, what, what's the right word to, I guess, true remake. Okay. Because I feel like completely redoing the story is a more true remake than um, trying to just redo it shot for shot and change a few things with new actors and updated things, you know. But my point about White Christmas specifically is that there is no way that we're going to see a replacement of that number without a remake. And I, I think it'd be hard to sit here and say, well, we should change this scene or this part about that particular number and remove Mm -hmm. these things because you can't see it yeah and you'd have to completely rewrite it to to see that I guess you touch on an interesting point though because with remakes we lose context in a way Sarah and I were just having this conversation and a lot of times remakes aren't taking into consideration when the original work was created right Mm -hmm. so with your example with West Side Story Sure, yeah, it takes place in 1957, but because it's a period piece, essentially, there's elements to it that are going to exist that don't feel good because it's 1957 and the world was shit for people of color in 1957. Yeah. And I think the same could be said for White Christmas. It's 1954. You know, the only black person we're going to see is the club car guy because it's 1954 and stuff is still like schools still aren't even desegregated yet. Brown versus Board of Education hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Rosa Parks hasn't refused to get off her seat yet. You know, so there's elements about when you do a remake where you're losing context because of the era in which it was developed and the culture at the time. And you're trying to keep it as a period piece, but then sort of modify it for cultural changes that have happened. And I don't know if anyone's found a balance yet to do that in a way where it still feels true to the era without feeling icky about that era. And I I think the best way to do that is exactly what West Side Story does to Romeo and Juliet, where it is you know, essentially updating a previous piece of work, but mm. adapting it for the modern era. Yeah. I don't think that you can properly remake something that was supposed to be modern. Yeah. Because yeah. you lose the error, I guess, the air of the time. Mm-hmm. And so you don't, you miss out a lot of that nuance and context. Like if you're writing something about now, even unintentionally, the politics of, you know, the current state are going to seep into your writing. Mm-hmm. And so if you try to adapt that in the future, the things that don't carry over, you know, the day-to-day stuff that affects people, mm-hmm. 
um, isn't going to be there, right? Like, sure, 20 years from now, people will remember Joe Biden is currently president. People aren't going to remember necessarily what that means for everybody individually, which I think is what really creates an atmosphere of the time and why a lot of period pieces, even if they're the most historically accurate that we can make them, will never feel proper. Mm -hmm. And so there'll always be sort of nostalgic, romanticized pieces unless they're specifically a critique. That's an interesting point. That's a really interesting point. It is hard too when you live through the era of different remakes early early a few you know a few episodes ago we compared 1994 little women Mm -hmm. to 2019 little women and definitely two very different interpretations but i think that they were successful in the 2019 version by capturing the essence of the source material yeah because that's really hard. I mean, that's really hard to do, but you have to have a writer who has an affection for where it's coming from. And with West Side Story, you really feel the Romeo and Juliet theme strongly in that, especially in the 1961 film version. I didn't, wow. I, I Now that I don't know if I got it as much. Mm-hmm. In the night in the 2021 version of it being an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, it felt yeah. more like um, an adaptation of the 1961 version. And your point about losing that sort of the air in the era of that time, the cultural context really yeah. does get lost. And I think that's why the 61 version is so much more powerful to me mm-hmm. because you really feel the Shakespearean themes in it. Yeah. You can't avoid it. They smack you in your face. And with everyone I've talked to who's seen the 2021 version, but hasn't seen the 1961 version, they didn't realize it's an West Side Story is an adaptation, is a, is a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. So, you know, they've lost their um, roots, I guess. And to bring it back more to White Christmas, what would happen, I think, if you try to remake it now mm-hmm. because even though white christmas is specifically a christmas movie it's still a modern movie for its time it's not one of those movies where i think home alone is an example of like a timeless classic movie because it's specifically a children's movie mm-hmm. and so you kind of have that innocence of the world as a child you know it's not necessarily about you know christmas time and christmas spirit it's more about you know learning to love your family just no matter who they are well even if that isn't the most amazing message, because for in some instances, maybe you shouldn't love your family. Maybe they're horrible <laughs> people. But learning to live with your family, assuming that they're overall good to you. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, some fun trying to fight off bad guys where, you know, you're just a kid. I think White Christmas is too, plays with too many um, themes as an adult, I guess. Mm-hmm um to be brought into 2021 to be completely remade Mm -hmm. um and to remove the maybe more unsavory elements like the minstrel show number it just I don't think that it could be done and people would still have the same feelings about it I think no one is going to go out and replace the 1954 version with the whatever remake year would be sure and I don't even know if we, ha- it, I, because of how big and broad the world is now, right. You mm-hmm. can be famous on Instagram, famous on TikTok, but still millions of people don't know who you are. Yeah. 
the kind of star power and quality that Rosemary Clooney, Bing Crosby, Vera Ellen had at that time, and just the way they carved out their niches in an, in the entertainment industry, mm. literally nobody comes to mind who could fill their shoes. I mean, the only celebrities we have now that really have the same kind of stardom is people like The Rock. And I don't necessarily think that The Rock is going to be great in a musical number. I mean, I guess he could. I'm not saying that he wouldn't be. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think that, you know, getting a movie full of people on the, like The Rock and Vin Diesel and that kind of like, that's a Fast and the Furious movie, you know? Yeah. No one's expecting them to go out and remake White Christmas. Right. Right. Interesting. Analystical, published by Good Housekeeping on December 13th, 2019, titled 25 Surprising Things About White Christmas That Even Movie Buffs Don't Know, included many facts I already knew, but the ones I didn't know include Fred Astaire was supposed to play Phil Davis. That's Danny. Danny Kaye was choice number three. I didn't know that. Irving Berlin changed the lyrics in Gee, I Wish I Was in the Army because the original line is Crosby, Hope, and Jolson all for free, which they changed it. And I can't remember off the top of my head what they changed it to. And I should because it's my favorite Christmas musical. (laughs) Another fun fact is that Bing Crosby's granddaughter, Denise Crosby, was in Star Trek The Next Generation. And the reason why, friends, this is a fun fact is because my father literally watched Star Trek The Next Generation on repeat and I remember this character because when they pulled up the article and they showed a picture of her it's like oh I know exactly who that is I didn't know she was being Crosby's granddaughter but my favorite fun fact is George Shakiris who is famously known as Bernardo the leader of the sharks in West Side Story is in the scene at the carousel club which is a very long way to lead us into a conversation about our favorite song and dance numbers (laughs) which I think we already touched on um but let's do it again. What is your favorite song and dance number of the film and why? I think choreography is 100% my favorite. Yeah. Every time it comes on, I I think it's the most fun. I think it's the most, I wouldn't say timeless. I think it's definitely very 1954. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it's so the, modern for its time. Yeah, for its time, it definitely was. And it, it I think it just has the most play. You know, all of the other ones have a very set um, theme and what mm-hmm. they're going for. Whereas I feel like that number dips into so many different things while just being fun. And it's not necessarily supposed to be specifically Christmas, but, you know, it's not not Christmas. And you just have all of it's still a fairly large scene like the minstrel show number, but it's not about a minstrel show. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, I just love that. And I love the music. I love the dancing. The costumes are all very um, understated. So mm-hmm. it really is more about the dancing. And it's just one of my, it's one of my favorites. It's very, in my mind, like I see the beatnik vibe, which was such a huge movement in the fifties, right? Or well, I don't know if it was a huge movement, but it was definitely a movement of the fifties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is, oh really hard decision to make but the one song that I listen to all year long regardless of time of year is gee I wish I was in the army (laughs) which is hilarious for so many reasons that we will not share here (laughs) (laughs) but I just thought that one's so much fun and then I also love the carousel scene I had a Barbie who had that dress 
Which one's the carousel scene? When she's at the carousel club, she's left because, you know, Bing's a liar, but he wasn't really a liar. The meddling, um, the meddling maid yeah. relayed false information. Um, and so she leaves, breaks up the act, goes to New York, and then gets a job at the carousel club and does singing. She sings. It's not blue sky because she tries to get them to change it to blue skies, but it's a different song. Oh, that's right. Because he shows up and then she's like, oh, I want to do a different song. And then yeah. it's too late. And he gets, and then Bing Crosby's character gets to watch. Yeah. And then later she realizes like, oh, <laughs> I, I was wrong. I should have, I don't know, had a conversation about what I overheard from the freaking maid. Yeah. <laughs> housekeeper well, I, she's a housekeeper i shouldn't keep i mean that's how her. you create tension in any show though i mean any sitcom that's pretty much always what happens someone overhears something and then nobody clarifies and that's the whole i mean that's how you get the tension right yeah but i love that song because i think rosemary clooney's voice is so powerful in it and then also too i had a barbie who had that dress so of course i was just like she's like my barbie <laughs> dumb did you have a favorite character um, I don't know. I, not really. I just like to watch the movie, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's always the hardest question for me about most. Especially when it's like an ensemble situation. Yeah. Where there isn't really a set main character. Cause I mm-hmm. think when there's a set main character, it's easier to say, oh, this side character is my favorite Yeah, because it's, you know, it's just about supposed to be about one person. And so the off characters kind of have a little I guess more, um, not necessarily personality because they're still like 2D characters for the most mm-hmm. part, um, but just they're generally more different and supposed to be less of like a full person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because the, sh- the movie doesn't work unless there's all four of them there. Then it's a completely right. different story. Yeah. As of 2021, the single White Christmas has sold over 50 million copies and the screen production has been adapted for stage. I also can't help but wonder if this movie is only for white people and whether or not the influence of my Italian mother had anything to do with my love for this movie. Because again, there's a couple like that one, the minstrel scene show scene. I didn't know it was a problem until I was a teenager. And two, you know, it's just, there weren't a whole lot of musicals in the fifties that starred black actors and actresses, which is really a bummer when you think about all of the talent that existed back then Jackson, Hmm. thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with me about one of our holiday traditions. Of course. (laughs) Of course. He's so chatty. (laughs) I mean, what else am I supposed to say? I don't know. (laughs) Friends, if you want to keep up with us between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at pop culture makes me jealous. We will be taking a short break for the Christmas and new year holiday, but we will be showing up on Instagram during that time. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season and a very happy new year. Thanks for tuning in y'all. 